And we are live from the Empire of Lies, bringing you the truth in a free speech and open debate zone, an oasis in the midst of the New World Order. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. And it, and it, and it is a Truth Tuesday on The Backstory, and we're joined by guest co-host Jason Goodman. You there, Jason? I am, Lee. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Jason? Pretty well, all things considered. Is it very, very hot in New York? No, it's not bad. It's a pretty nice day. A uh, little bit overcast, but not too hot, not too humid. I'm concerned about, you know, Nancy Pelosi provoking the Chinese and, uh, you know, the increasing well, tension in Ukraine. She's landed safely and soundly in Taiwan. In the Taiwan, the mighty Taiwan, Pelosi sleeps tonight. <laughs> it's a little right. song there, Jason. But like Nancy Pelosi is sleeping in Taiwan right now. So don't worry about it, Jason. Everything's okay. She made it. Well, I mean, I'm worried about what the Chinese response might be and why the dopes that run our government feel the need to provoke nuclear-armed adversaries. And, uh, and Nancy's insistence on going. I'll talk about, let's talk about what's on the show today. Then there's some abortion news that I find puzzling. Have you seen that? What Merrick Garland sure. is doing on the abortion front? Okay, we'll talk about it in a second. It's one of the top headlines. But on the show today, joining us in the first hour, we're very happy to have Fiorella Isabel. She's a reporter for RT, and she recently moved to Moscow. Mm. All right. She's one journalist who moved there. And uh, we look forward to talking to her about what her experience is moving to Russia. Very interesting. And also yeah. the news of the day. There's more Ukraine-Russia news. And we'll talk about it with Fiorella. Then in the second hour, joining us because you heard Zawahiri got shot, killed yesterday. I don't Drone. believe that, but yes, I heard it. Well, we'll talk to John about it. Maybe All John right. will convince you. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. But no. uh, show me the, show me the dead guy. It's just ink on a page. Yeah, well, we'll see what John has to say, because he knows yeah. quite a bit about the Zawahir situation. And if anyone would have done a fake false flag assassination is people used to work for the CIA. Would you agree with that, Jason? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're talking to John Kiriakou next hour, and we're taking your phone calls, 202-521-1320. And Jason, that takes us to the part where I ponder out loud what the name of the show is. So Jason? This is the backstory. Well done. So I'll tell you the abortion news. The yeah. Biden administration's, you know, they're saying finally taking, and they're saying it like they're thrilled. 
but the Biden administration is finally taking some action on abortion. They're stepping in with a law that says hospitals are required to provide health services. It's something vague like that. Hospitals are, and so they're saying that abortion has to be given in Idaho because they had banned it in all cases, but I understand rape or incest. But now they're saying it has to be performed because it's an emergency. And here's what I don't understand. If they'd already... They'd already made it possible in case of emergency. So what they're right. talking about as an emergency seems to me somebody really wants an abortion. <laughs> Someone really just right. want to have a baby. a baby. Is that an emergency? I'm confused, Jason. It reminds me of one of those signs at the airport where it says, like, you know, your lack of planning does not equate to an emergency for me. Right. Yes, that's a good point. And and the fetus yeah. might have a different view. But right. I, I find it interesting, and they're all reporting, this is being reported us on every major news channel, and they're all reporting it as though it's not controversial to say, and I heard the guy who's, I guess, maybe the Surgeon General, I forget who he is, but the medical authorities said, this is is an emergency, but he didn't define mm. the emergency. You know, right. usually medical emergencies, if something goes wrong, people die. In this right. one, if everything goes right, someone dies. Yeah. It's really you find that bizarre? Terribly. You know, what I'm finding just so bad is this attack on logic and language and this persistent effort to, no matter how logically you approach the illogical, this opposition keeps coming back with more stupidity. And it's like what Nancy Pelosi is doing in Taiwan. You know, you push and it's like what happened in Ukraine. You know, for eight years, Putin was saying, We have these Minsk agreements or, you know, whenever that came about. For eight years, he's been talking about the shelling of ethnically Russian Ukrainians. Right. Eight years. And then eventually the most rational person will run out of patience and there's no other option but resorting to violence. And that is what is dangerous about all this is that we have irrational people who cannot be reasoned with, who just keep coming back. They refuse to play by the rules. And it's... You're right. It seems like it's done on purpose. It seems like part of the purpose is to offend your sense of rationality. Right. Does that make sense, Jason? Yeah, yeah, it does. You're right. So that's the latest salvo in the abortion battle. And we'll see if they're going after Idaho first. But if this works, obviously, they're going to be able to force every state. And I I have a feeling, just from the brief description I heard of the law, that eventually a court is going to step in and a court is going to go, that's not an emergency. Right. You can't do this. Something, Something will happen. Right. I agree with that. And I don't know, because I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one on the radio. 
So I don't know if it's going to be upheld. But from the brief description I heard on the radio about five times, I don't see how it stands up in court. Yeah. Eventually. I agree. You know what I mean? You, you know what I mean by eventually? As long as they yeah. stay in the ninth, ninth Circuit, as long as they stay out on the West Coast, they're safe. Yeah. But once well, it starts it. to a hit non-West Coast courts. Yeah. A lot of times these people will do this knowing exactly that, that even though what they're proposing is, of course, illegal, they can work it through the system for a couple of years, and during that time, people will be able to enjoy whatever it is that they're trying to get done, and then it'll get kicked out and they'll try something else. I mean, these are all the type of lawfare-style games that they love to play. Yes. And I've said before, I'll say it again, though. I think that the abortion issue has not been what the Democrats hoped it would be. I think it was different in the 70s when Roe v. Wade yeah. was first ruled on. I think right. more women were pro-abortion then. Do you agree with me that fewer women are pro-abortion now that we've had abortion for decades? I think it's hard for me to gauge because I was so young in the 70s, but I, I tend to think that that's correct for a variety of different reasons. I think that a lot of options for birth control are available now that weren't then. And I think that just the kind of education about using condoms is maybe more prevalent, or maybe the marketing from condom companies, or I don't know what. But and also with monkeypox, I think that if you're, you know, it's you can use birth control, you have options. I mean, did they make the pill illegal in these states that don't want abortion? Or, you know, I mean, you can use contraception, right? Well, speaking of monkeypox, three states have declared states of emergency. California, yeah. Illinois, New York, apparently. And right. you know the total number of monkeypox cases nationwide is? And three Less states are in a state of emergency. How many? Do you know, do you know the number, I think it's Jason? Less, less than 500, I thought. I don't know. Less than 5,000. Less than 5,000. So you're well, a zero off. But yeah. still, 5,000 doesn't sound like that many cases to me. To have three states be in a state of emergency. Do you agree? I do. I also find it very strange that at first they were saying, you know, something like 90-something percent of the cases were occurring in subjects engaged in male-to-male -male homosexual intercourse, which, I mean, again, that's way different than something being aerosol and just walking around, you can get it. That's a very specific behavior. I heard behavior someone that if from you... the government today, I know what you're talking about. I heard someone from the government say, 99% of the cases are with gay or bisexual men. That's what she said. 99% right. of cases. But, but she wait, cautioned. here's the important thing. Here's the important thing, Lee. It's not just gay men and bisexual men who are going to the drugstore and somebody sneezes on them and they get it. It's people in those groups who are engaging in unprotected male-to-male -male sex. And again, that's a very specific and avoidable behavior why do we need a vaccine? You just don't do that. Well, this person for the government said 99% of the cases are gay and bisexual men, but that's going to change because it's not like something's magic. Well, thank you, government official, <laughs> for telling us it's not magic. Oh, 
we knew they, that they cleaned we that actually, up. Yeah. And actually, as you said, we actually know what behavior causes this. Right. So it's not only not magic, it's a solved mystery. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. Right. That's what I mean. And I'm, I just want to make sure that people understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, well, people who are gay should just never have sex again. I'm just saying, if we know that there is a disease that is transmitted by unprotected male-to-male -male gay sex, get some condoms. Or slow, slow down a little. Whatever. Because yeah. also, it's multiple partners. It's not helping you go. the situation. And so right. if you can't slow down on the orgies for a week or two, just yeah. to see how it goes, I'm going to say so. you like the orgies way too much. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, but I, I think we'll find the term emergency comes up again, because like in the abortion battle, I wonder if there's any emergency orgies plan for the weekend. <laughs> emergency orgy, break glass. <laughs> yes. Well, d watch out with the glass. Yeah. Well, right. Because that makes the orgy very bloody. Exactly. You don't want You follow that. me? No, yeah. you don't. Too kinky. But yeah. uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they find that there's an em or or else they emergency gay men. <laughs> if, if you're in an emergency and you have to be gay or bisexual, just declare your emergency and the okay. government will do something helpful. Oh, maybe you get money. Or both. Yeah. So monkeypox, I'm, I'm trying to understand the narrative here, Jason. So, so let me see if I get this straight. The narrative seems to be it's another disease that everybody should be scared of. But yeah. the thing going against it is it's not affecting everybody equally. In fact, 99% of the cases are for very specific behavior that most people do not engage in. Right. Am, I, am I getting that right, Jason? I think so. And they're sad because this won't be the pandemic they were hoping it would be. But they keep saying that it might. Like, they say, well, it's not dangerous now, but it could be. Oh. Because be. if, they, oh, if they keep saying it, maybe it's true. Jason, right. let's go to Moscow on the phone sure. and talk to Fiorella Isabel, who's recently moved there, about all the headlines going on in the Russia-Ukraine war and about what's it like moving to Russia just in right. general. Yeah. Let's take a short break, Jason. What's the name of the show? This is The Backstory. on the radio in the Empire of Lies capital, Washington, D.C., 105.5 FM, AM 1390. And we are joined by guest host, special guest co-host, Jason Goodman from CrowdSource of Truth. Now joining us 
great friend of the show. We've had her on before. RT journalist Fiorella Isabel. And she recently moved to Moscow. Hey, Fiorella, how you doing? Hi, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Hi, so welcome to the show. So We're happy to have you. So it's pretty That's thrilling. You're you. you moving to Russia, right? Yeah. So the, I get asked a lot, even by people who work, you know, at RT and, and others in living in Moscow. Why are you here? Why? Why did you come right now? Like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> a lot of people I get asked are running the, the other direction. Fall, so. <laughs> and uh, you know, you're coming here. Like, what exactly made you come? Right? And I think the answer to that is why not? That's been my answer because I think if you're going to talk about a country and a war and the conflicts that have been going on for a while, because we all know this war didn't start in February. Um, we, you have to talk about, you have to, to know what you're talking about. And oftentimes that requires being there in, in certain spots mm. to really see what's going on. And I, I've advocated that for a long time with Craig, you know, we, we, we advocate going into other countries and understanding where people are coming from and why things are happening. And so, that's really what motivated Now, Fiorella, the obvious question to ask you, which is, what have you noticed since you moved to Russia? But here's the uh, less obvious question. What have you noticed about the United States? Did, have you spotted anything about the America since you moved to Russia? Yeah, that's another thing that I find really interesting and necessary to talk about is you can see things more clearly in some instances when you're outside of the empire of lies, right? You can see, you can see how people's perception of that is so different than really what it is. And what I've noticed about the United States is that we are, I mean, what? it's not that I didn't know before. It's just so much more obvious how people are so entirely just distracted and entirely aloof to the rest of the world to an even bigger degree. And how yet we still manage to trick people to think that even in spite of everything that Russians know, there's still somewhat of an admiration towards the United States from the youth more than anybody. Hmm. And that's been something that I find quite disturbing because that I know that is Hollywood. I know that is the entertainment oh. industry. And it's a lot of the, the the reasons why Russia is so uh, they're so anti-U.S. propaganda is because of that. And I and I see a lot of the youth that didn't wasn't really alive during the uh, Soviet Union era and didn't really doesn't really understand the history of how that happened still sort of have this admiration. Oh, well, but people have cars in the United States and, you know, it's not as easy to have a car here and just things like that. And, um, but you know, they're so surprised when I tell them like, Oh, but the United States is falling apart. Like, it's like you, you let's come take a look at our subway in New York, like versus the Metro here. That looks like the, the metros here look like museums and, and yeah. they have Wi-Fi and they're clean and they don't smell and there's no rats. And like, and so it's mm. just, they there are certain things that that people lack in Moscow that they they want 
in the United States, like just this idea of having this very individualistic, uh, you know, car, you, you don't use public transportation. But I think that's just a grass is greener on the other side sort of thing. Um, but it's definitely more just prevalent how people are so um, just out of touch in the United States and how here people have are so much more involved with what they think about uh, things politically, even if they aren't as uh, even if they are against it or for it, they know more about what's going on in the United States and the rest of the world than we do, of course, in, yeah. in the West, especially so, the United States. And so are you meeting people? I, I would assume it, it's true since you work for RT. You're meeting people who are more tuned into news than most people. Have you met? Have you met many what you call average people? Yeah. So yeah, I have actually. I've met like yeah, uh, people that aren't really news people, and they they really do understand that the United States is a problem. They understand that what the United States is doing is wrong. But there's a lot of, like I said, in the youth, there's a lot of, um, well, but this war is costing Russia all this money and blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of different opinions. You know, people think that everybody in Russia loves Putin. It's not the case. Um, it's also not the case that everybody hates him. It's just like in the United States, people have different opinions on on certain things that could be improved upon. And it's it's really interesting that even people who are not politically involved really do see that that the, the United States, they know what the United States does and has done. But some justify it depending on what they think is, you know, is the the reason behind it. Well, they, you know, the United States, they have some things that are better than Russia or vice versa. Or they'll say like, yeah, it, it's bad what the United States is doing. But they all know that they don't feel welcome. Um, people that I've talked to, they're like, well, I would like to go to the United States, but I don't think I'd be welcome there. And there's that sentiment of, you know, like, we know that they don't like us. And I, I try to make that clear, like, how, you know, in the West, Russia, Russia, particularly all of Russia, but, you know, even Moscow is painted as this this city and the entire country is falling apart and people are just, you know, doing terrible it's the complete opposite. I mean, I know it's summer right now, but people are really living their life. They're doing normal things, going to the park, going to restaurants. The ruble is up. I mean, the city is so clean. I have not seen uh, a cleaner city, to be honest. I, I really haven't. I think there might be cities like this in, in the Netherlands. And um, I was close to when I went to Amsterdam. I mean, Amsterdam was very clean, but I'm talking about just extremely efficient, clean cities that you just don't have in the United States, especially Washington, D.C. No offense. Uh, and like New York. And How about stuff. New York? Yeah. 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 Or Los Angeles. I, you know, I heard right. you say you live there. I live there and I love yeah. Los Angeles because of many reasons, but it is one of the dirtiest cities out there and poorest and just. I, I just don't see that level of I, I don't see homelessness. I don't see. Of course, I'm going to venture outside of Moscow, and that's what I'm trying to do more and more. But I do think there's that problem with centralization, like just like there is in the United States. But I mean, we're talking about night and day here in terms of the efficiency of the 
the way the city works for the people. Now, speaking of night and day, I've heard from people who live in Moscow that it's a very 24-hour city, that a lot of times very. you'll find stores. Yeah, what are you learning about that? Oh, my gosh. Oh. I have never – I've been all over Western Europe, and I have never seen a city that's open 24 hours like even Vegas doesn't have, I mean, we're talking about nail salons that are open 24 hours, shopping huh. malls, uh, wow. restaurants and bars. You can drink if you want to. I haven't been to one of those, but if you want to, you could drink all night and into the, the morning and you could do that. Nobody's going to stop you. It's, it, it's crazy in a bar. Um, and it's, <laughs> have you found, it's have you, something have that you I've never seen. Have you found any breakfast booze buffets featuring, for instance, a vodka omelet? <laughs> no, I'm, no, but I'm not looking for that. Thank God. Okay. Vodka shots <laughs> uh, is a welcome yeah, yeah. in certain spots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you must so, be getting pretty tired of vodka, right? I haven't had really much vodka at all or anything. <laughs> like I've been I've honestly been working a lot and uh I've only I, I've only seen some friends a couple of times and uh yeah, I it's weird. <laughs> I think I had more vodka outside of uh, of, of Russia <laughs> to be Do you honest. Speak but Russian? I when I go to the store no, no, I don't speak any Russian. Oh, wow. I I oh, want to learn and I said that I would take classes. Um, a lot of people speak a little bit of English, but um, they don't speak a lot of it. Like they made it sound to me and to other colleagues that came from the States like, oh, this is everybody speaks English. No, that's not the case. Yeah. I have a, an app no. that helps out a lot and it's right. good. But yeah, no, it's and Russian's hard. I can, I know some German. I know some a, a good amount of French. I know Spanish fluently. I can pick up like languages really well, but Russian has its own alphabet and it's like this whole thing. And yeah, yeah it's, I think that's the most challenging part, to be honest. <laughs> and so how have you been dealing with that? Um, I, there's this wonderful app that I have that translates like all the Russian into English. If like you can take a picture, it's called it's like this Yandex translator app. And also oh. um, I just point and like <laughs> gesticulate and uh, some people, like I said, speak English and, you know, I try to figure it out. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm going to try to learn because at least to get by and there are people who have been living here for years and they still don't know Russian. So it's not promising. But um yeah, I, I think. And, and how long have you been there now, sure. A how little over you, a month you, now. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, a little now, over a month. Now, have you done any of the tourist stuff, seen Red Square and so on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I saw Red Square. I went to several museums. Um, I'm a museum person, so uh, I have to either go alone or go with people who like museums, which is very few people. Um, and, and so I, I've done a lot of like, just a solo, like, uh, tourist stuff. Um, but I did hang out with, um, my colleague, Rachel, when, when we first got here, we went to like several like tourist areas, like Red Square by the Moscow river. Somebody from RT took us on a really nice tour. It's very beautiful in the summer. People tell us that it's beautiful in the summer. Just, it's going to get cold. 
I'm not used to the cold at all. So um, I'm going to have a lot of fun with that once that happens. Uh, but yeah, it, you it's been really fun. It's been great. You mentioned that you don't speak Russian, but Russian, as I understand it, is an entirely different language. Have you noticed that? <laughs> they Cyrillic. It's a whole different written yeah. language, yeah. too. And yeah. I'm curious, yeah. has that been confusing for you at all? Because I assume you've learned a few things in Cyrillic because there's some words, if you know that sign means like ladies' room or something like that, that would come in handy. Have you learned right. any written Cyrillic Russian? Uh, so my friend did me the favor of pretty much writing the letters that were different. And it's kind of like... Um, kind of like decoding something, right? Because, like, the letters mean something yes. in English. Like, one symbol means a, a letter in English like that. So she kind of laid it out for me, and it's helped a little bit. But, yeah, that, I, 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 I can say a few words, but I the whole alphabet thing is it's going to take some time to learn. Although, once you really do it, it's not that difficult. But I'm, like, I need to be in, like, a – I would like to be in, like, a classroom setting to really learn it. Do, do most people there think that what Russia is doing with the special military operation is justified, or are they like here in the United States where everybody thinks it's terrible? Honestly, Moscow is an extremely, um, I would say, there's a lot of Western influence. It's one of the most capitalist places I've ever been to. I mean, just huh. the level of like love for for you know fashion and like just brands and, and the, they miss a lot of the, the stores that left you, you know, retail H and M uh, you got Ikea, Sephora, all of them gone. So people do really have a lot, especially like I said, the younger people really like, like Western music, you hear it all the time and stuff. So a lot of people don't like that because they, they feel like it's alienated them. But the most overarching thing has been the sentiment of Russians towards Ukrainians, every single Russian person I've met, whether they worked at RT or not, are against the idea that the Ukrainians are their enemy because they have family members that are Ukrainian. They have friends that are Ukrainian. They would often travel to Ukraine. I mean, there's this very strong connection with the people of Ukraine. Nobody's been like, oh, yes, I hate those Ukrainians. I hope they all, you know, just go go away. That's that's not what I've heard from anybody, whether they're pro uh, the military intervention or not, or whether they call it a war or not. I mean, it's I I just haven't seen that that sentiment towards Ukrainians at all. And I think it's it's mixed, but I think it's um, Moscow is more anti the intervention than the outside of Moscow. Hmm. And that, you know, of about... course, is not surprising to me because it's just it's just the way it is here is the way it is in a lot of the world that I've seen where the outside regions are a little bit more um I don't want to say nationalist but they're more more um just anti they've suffered more they've seen more of the suffering of the of the uh, from western imperialism they they're more tied to the traditional aspects and I think that's why you see that more so in general. And I think uh, Russia is not an exception to that as well. You know, uh, just the other day I was thinking, my ex-wife is Ukrainian. And in her childhood and throughout her teenage years, she was part of the USSR national acrobatic team. And Ukraine was part of the USSR. And remember, even here in the United States, Russia and USSR 
were sort of used interchangeably. So if you were a member of the USSR national team from Ukraine, that's like being on the U.S. Olympic team and you're from Texas. And then now the United States has broken up and Texas is separate from New York. And, you know, New York goes to war with Texas or whatever. I might have cousins in Texas. I don't want to kill everybody in Texas. It's a similar kind of thing. I mean, it's like that almost, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's really there's just so much sadness in terms of that. Like they want it to be over. And and it's obviously the family ties, the, the friends, but it's also the fact that um, people used to just travel. I mean, Russians used to be able to go to Europe and, and Moscow used to be able to be a place where you could go anywhere. You could go East, you could go West, you know, it's, it's in that position. And uh, it's and- just become impossible even to go to Crimea, which is where I wanted to go soon it's very difficult because they canceled so many flights you have to go via bus it takes forever maybe a a train could help it's just very very complicated and um also the the money situation was a really big deal for for me not being able to use my bank cards or any of my cards oh yes right what did you do about that what did you do about that i i had to have cash um, so I had cash, thankfully, but in order to pretty much do anything, you need like a, a bank card, a spare bank card. And I had to basically wait to get one. Um, and that was that that I mean, it didn't take that long, but it's still, uh, you know, some days where you didn't have that. I had I have I met a friend who was kind enough to just be like, here, use my card for now. And like, oh my God. until you get yours. <laughs> and because it was so like it was so difficult to, to like call a taxi or do anything with that. Don't you need a whole bank account? I mean, I missed something. How is a spare bank card working? You need a Russian bank account, right? With Russian money put in there. I mean, I guess you have a Russian employer so they can pay you into a Russian bank account. But if let's say somebody like me went to Turkey and then went to Russia, I'd have us dollars and us credit cards. How would I do anything? You would just have to exchange your U.S. dollars for rubles, and that and that is, believe it or not, you will find Russians who are willing to do that because that's kind of the thing. Russians can't get dollars, and we can't get rubles. So, huh. if you find somebody that's like, "Hey, I'm going on holiday, I need some dollars," oh. you can go. Wow. So you it's have very some underground. Rubles, you kind can do of it that way. Deal stuff. It could be. Yeah, because you know what happens if you ask, go to one of the the spots where you can actually exchange money, they basically uh, charge you a lot of right. the, the interest. And and what people are doing is they're opening bank accounts in like Turkey or um, is it like as uh, some other places? Like I can't remember all the places, but Azerbaijan. just certain places where they can open up a bank account and do that. Azerbaijan might be one. Uh, there's a few others, but. Yeah, because it's really hard. And to send money back to the States, that's a whole other mess as well. That's difficult because we, you know, we get paid in rubles and our bank's uh, card is not acceptable because of the sanctions. So it's honestly creating more problems for people like us, Americans or foreigners coming to work in Moscow than it is for the people in Moscow. I mean, the, the issues, you know, they've they've bounced back. Sure, they don't have Sephora, but now Russian makeup people are producing their own makeup. It's kind of like what we did to Cuba. Cuba had to produce their own 
you know, a medical team. They, they've advanced in medicine so much because they had no choice. They, they've done their thing. And so it's kind of like that. People just sort of kind of become resilient. Um, and, yeah. you know, it's not that they don't miss it, but it's you have to do what you have to do. And people are, are doing well in spite of it. Now, I have a question for you as a journalist. How is it going around Moscow, walking down the street, talking into your camera phone? Because everyone knows as a journalist in 2022, that's something you do. You walk out on the street with your phone and start doing a stand-up into your phone. Right, Fiorello? So how do people react when they see you doing that? I honestly haven't been doing a lot of that. Uh, what I've been doing is filming a few little videos here and there. Um, and just, I did, a, I think, a stream talking about what happened since I got here and, uh, and just that, like, I haven't been doing that much because I've been working uh, a lot and, um, just trying to get my bearings, you know, but I was thinking of that, of, of doing that whole, you know, like, Oh, here I am in Russia and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, working at RT though, it's, it's not necessarily like the most welcome spot. <laughs> like People think like all of Moscow is just like, Oh no, it's, it's, you know, you have people that love it and you have people that hate it. And so it's it's interesting to see the different reactions um, when people know you work at RT. So it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I, I it's worse in the states. And so, what's been the most interesting reaction you've gotten so far? Yeah, well, you know, one lady being like, "Well, yeah, I don't know what you're doing here because the journalists don't have any power here." <laughs> like. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. Like, you, you know, it's not real, blah, blah, blah. And so um, I always find that interesting because coming from the United States where we're literally trying to give Julian Assange 175 years in prison and, you know, all all of the things that we could all list about how what's happening right now, the censorship and all of that. Yeah. I just find it. Um, I'm like, God, if you only knew. <laughs> And you can sit down and reminisce sometime about all the power you had as a journalist yeah. in America. You can right. think back oh, to yeah. the Halcyon days, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is why so many are leaving, right? I mean, I just know so many great journalists that are either here in Moscow or or somewhere else in like outside of the United States, whether they're in, in Latin America, whether they're in, in West Asia. They're just not in the United States anymore. They, I mean, and I, I don't I, blame anybody. I agree. People and like I Eva Bartlett. It's safer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's Twitter? doing amazing work. She's. How's the How's the Twitterverse been treating your move to Russia? Lee and I take a lot of, lot of guff. You know, I haven't, I haven't gotten, I haven't applied for the verification, and I'm thinking, you know. If I do get this verification, they're just going to mark Russia state affiliated media on me like in two seconds, um, yeah. but, which yeah, I, I don't that. really care about at this point. It's irrelevant. I mean, whatever. But uh, it's uh, I actually just got banned on Twitter for a, until I delete a tweet calling out uh, Louise yeah, Mensch welcome. because she she welcome basically was calling for the uh, Ukrainian military to go after Eva Bartlett. <laughs> Literally, oh, wow. oh, they, they responded with, we didn't uh, find her tweet violated any rules, but yours did. <laughs> like They literally, wow. like they're like, if you don't wow. delete this tweet, you can't have access. And I appealed it and I'm waiting for their appeal. 
And of course, Good today luck. there's so much news happening with chi- with the China situation, and um, and and I'm like, I'm being Fira stubborn. I don't want to delete my tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it's 11:46. <laughs> yes, yeah. I appreciate the conversation. Always great to talk to you. Hopefully, we can have you back on again sometime soon. And by the way, I'm going to mention since you're talking about people who are suspended from Twitter, Garland Nixon, the co-host of the critical hour on here on Sputnik has been suspended from Twitter. Garland Nixon is suspended oh for my five God. days, apparently. I was permanently suspended, yeah. Oh, oh wow. Jason okay. was. I wish I was, but yeah. Garland's, Garland's only, you see oh. all the power we have as journalists. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. So, Fiorella, <laughs> we'll let you go to bed. Thanks so much for saying uh, and talking to us. And have a great time in Russia. That's Fiorella Isabel. And when we come back from a short break, more with Jason Goodman on The Backstory. Back in the backstory, and joined by special guest co-host Jason Goodman from Crowdsource the Truth. And hey, Jason, have you been following yeah. the Brian Otten story? Do you know who that is? I don't think I do. Brian Otten was the FBI official who killed the Hunter Biden laptop story, and he's All also right. a person. Yes. Who verified the SEAL dossier. Right, right, right. So he's got a brilliant career at the FBI. (laughs) And apparently he's very important. But the thing I've been saying, we we know that what happened with the Hunter Biden laptop story is remember 50 former intelligence officials, including former member leaders of the CIA wrote a letter saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Remember that? I do. Now, remember the other thing is Brian Otten, an FBI agent, said internally at the FBI that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation. You follow so it's me? Just a stupid, I do, but it was stupid on its face when he said it. What does that even mean? It's a laptop. How is it disinformation? Well, what they're saying is it sounds too good to be true. And it does, yeah. in a sense, sound too good to be true. It does sound like something, because you'd think, what idiot would possibly <laughs> leave their laptop with all that information at the store? Well, no, I'm serious. Well, wait a minute. Take a step back. What idiot is video recording all the crack and hookers? I mean, first of all, who's doing that? Second of all, if you're going to do it, why are you recording it? Yeah, you use a different standard. As soon as you start to, what idiot? And <laughs> it's dot, 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 who's a crack whore addict? Right, right. You, you're you dealing with different people. Yes. So Hunter Biden, obviously, the, the years judgment. of crack whore abuse— 
it affected his brain somehow. He's not thinking well. I but agree. <laughs> here's what I'm suggesting, Jason. Hmm. Both the FBI and the CIA simultaneously came up with the same lie that it's Russian disinformation. What do you right. think the odds are that that's not a coincidence and that there's someone who coordinated, that there's someone somewhere who put that story in their head at the FBI and the CIA? What do you say, Jason? I would say the odds are virtually 100%. Right. And so what I'm suggesting is someone who's a journalist, look into that. Start looking into when these stories came out, because I think there's no way that those stories hit around the same time randomly. I'm saying that there's somebody in a higher position, somebody in a, a management position who planted that story. Do you, yeah. Does it make sense, Jason? I agree completely. And so I think it's obvious there is someone. Now the question is who and when? Yeah. When did this story? And the way to look for it is to look for other versions of the story that came out around the same time. Uh-huh. Look for other people who are saying this is Russian disinformation. Does that make sense? Yep. So if we found, you know, I'm, I'm sure people like Bill Browder were saying it. And I wouldn't be surprised uh-huh. yeah. if people like Louise Mensch were saying it. Uh-huh. But I would expect them to. That's their job. Right. But uh, I think there's much more to the story than meets the eye. Would you agree with that, Jason? Absolutely, Lee. There's so much going on behind the scenes that they're trying to hide from us. And then they just tell us something stupid on the news and think that we're all stupid. And sadly, a huge percentage of us are stupid. So it gets believed a lot of the times. And this is even a bigger scandal. Think about that. What I'm suggesting is that there's somebody behind the FBI and the CIA attempts to discredit this. And remember what this story is actually about. Remember what the Hunter Biden laptop story is actually about. That laptop money. It contains information. The laptop contains information that implicates Joe Biden in a scheme where he was getting kickbacks for being involved in his son's business dealings. That's about the big guy. That's about him getting kickbacks, right? Yep. Yes, and there's more text messages referring to him as the big guy now. So it's obvious that's who it was. But what that means is that he's a guy who's getting kickbacks from his son's business dealing. Now think about it. Think about how huge that is, that we have a sitting president who gotten kickbacks from his son's corrupt business dealings. And then Mm -hmm. as president, because... We know who the business dealings are with. They were involving yeah. Ukraine. Burisma is a Ukrainian company. And yeah. then he gets into office and he's backing that government in a war. Think about right. that. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. We're not only backing him in a war, but we're sending him $40 billion. We're sending him virtually unlimited amounts of money, too. 
You see what I'm well, saying? And then, well, but the bigger issue for me is that it's not just that they're sending them the money. We already know that cargo planes from Ukraine are crashing, loaded up with weapons, going places that aren't Ukraine. So basically, Joe Biden and the other idiots in Washington, D.C., are giving away not just money, dangerous weapons. I mean, Lee, this reminds me, it's analogous, exactly, to when the United States armed the Mujahideen in the 1980s in Afghanistan, which, by the way, Ayman al-Zawahiri and his Egyptian Islamic Jihad joined the Mujahideen in Afghanistan because Osama bin Laden, according to what I've heard, said, hey, this is our base over here in Afghanistan. Come join us and we'll link up the Mujahideen with the Egyptian Islamic Jihad that assassinated Anwar Sadat. And that's where al-Qaeda came from. Now, suddenly, to make Joe Biden look good and tough, they say they killed this guy. We're going to talk to John Kiriakou about it. I, for one, am very skeptical of that claim. Yes, and we'll talk to John about that history, too, because it's important yeah. to understand. But yeah. with the Hunter Biden laptop thing, I think the full enormity of the story has not really hit people yet. Think about Agreed. everything I'm saying. We have mm -hmm. a sitting U.S. president who's openly corrupt and who apparently, when people would have found out about it, attempts were made to bury that story in the media. And yeah. attempts were made internationally to bury the story. Does that all make yeah. sense, Jason? Because I think yep. it's bigger and than most people give it credit for. I, I agree. And I also think that the entire fascination with Elon Musk and Twitter, I think Musk realizes what Twitter is. It is a platform through which the type of thing you're describing can be executed. I don't think he wants to buy it as an investment. I think he wants to buy it to prevent them from being able to do that. Look at the way the beast reacted when he said, look, two days after Elon Musk said he was gonna buy Twitter to restore the First Amendment, that's when the Department of Homeland Security revealed the Disinformation Governance Board two days later on April 27th. And we'll talk more Nina about Jen that after, J Jason, we gotta take a short yeah. break now. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk more about it after this break. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. That's all coming up next on the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. It's up next on Backstory. from the empire of lies, a free speech, open debate, and intellectual diversity oasis in the vast arid wasteland that is the new world order. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. And we're joined from Crowdsource of Truth by Jason Goodman as guest co-host today. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Greatly. So we had Fiorella Isabel on last hour, who's moved to Moscow, and she's talked about what it's like to be an RT reporter in Moscow. Coming up this hour, John Kiriakou, co-host of Political Misfits, 
talking to us about the news yesterday that the Biden administration said they killed Zawahiri, one of the founders yeah. of Al-Qaeda. And we'll talk to John Kiriakou about that and about what's going on in Greece in general later this hour. Jason, cool. what in fact is the name of the show? This is the backstory. Two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. It's the number to call. Owl Killer is on oh, the yeah. line. Owl Killer, what's nice. on your mind? Hey guys, how you doing? Hey Jason, I was uh, last uh, Saturday. I was in. Uh, I was on fifty fifth at the uh, Whiskey Trader. And I was hoping to run into uh-huh. you downtown doing one of your videos with Charles Alt Portel. Unfortunately, that. Was- <laughs> um, have you been to that ninety nine cent pizza place on forty third? No, I, you know what? The only pizza place that I really usually go to in New York is Joe's on uh, on Bleecker. And it's up to four bucks over there. Yeah, no, this place is phenomenal. And it's, I mean, you know, you can't compare uh, East Coast pizza anywhere, especially in New York. But, I mean, for 99 cents a slice, I mean, this place was phenomenal. Um, outside of the freak show, you know, there's probably like a nine-foot guy dressed as a girl. And I, I wonder what. Yeah, and that's the other problem is these ninety-nine cent places. There's always like I, I mean, listen, I'm not trying to be a snob, but there's a couple things. I don't want discount sushi, I don't want discount surgery, I don't want discount scuba equipment, and I don't want discount pizza. <laughs> yeah, I, I, How about discount drag wings, Jason? Yeah, none yeah. of that. No, no. So, so okay, just how big it? Just getting on topic here. Um, so, you know, you, you were talking about the new revelations coming out with uh, the, the Hunter Biden um, information with the big guy. Again, you know, you were asking what, what type of guy records himself doing the stuff that Hunter Biden was doing. Again. Oh, yeah, right. To get Joe. Yeah. Now, I, again, I'm 99% sure. I'm going to give him, I'll give like a 1% uh that it's not the case that steel dossier was hunter biden because just that just the uh, the actions described remember you you saw justin what's been released the disdain he had for obama you know calling him the n-word and things I did not see that part wow hunter said that oh yeah he called no 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 hunter called him my n-word you know trying to oh oh what what you know what I mean? But you can just, wow, yeah. just tell that he had he had a just that the idea of what was going allegedly going on in that um, the Moscow hotel with the hookers, and you know that was the, the supposedly the room that the exact same room that President right. Obama had uh, stayed in. So I'm I'm almost 100 percent sure that's Hunter Biden because the actions are too you know you you couldn't make it up if you tried. But I, I do hmm. one one thing I do say. You remember who was the one that wanted to go after General Flynn? It was Biden. It was Joe. One right. That, yeah. So, um, again, everything is the just the behavior. And when you start when you start uh, putting the pieces together, like from it's easy to deconstruct. Um, I I um I think you have what everything in the Steele dossier happened, but it was Hunter. And, you know, I, the other thing I wanted to uh, talk about today, now you see what's going on with Pelosi in China, and I brought it up yesterday on the show. 
I wonder if there's already been like a negotiated surrender on our part in the sense that we're going to give up this idea that we're going to run, we're going to run the uh, world economy, basically have the world economic system. And you just need a chain of events that are, you know, it's like a wrestling match with what's going on in Ukraine and what's on right now, like um, with, with China and Taiwan and Pelosi going over there, you know, just, just to justify China's reactions to it. And, you know, the ramifications of our energy shutdown, our economy down with, with China. So I, I think that, you know, that's a Machiavellian way of looking at things. But I wonder if there has been a negotiated surrender because there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing good that can come out of that visit to Taiwan. Look, I want Taiwan to be free, but you're not going to beat China up. Right off their coast, just like you're not going to come over here. But it's also right now is not the time to go and make a stand like this. Additionally, when you look at the lack of coordination within the Biden administration, you know, there's been speculation on the major news shows that, well, not even speculation, you know, Biden leaked it and Kirby, you know, had weird comments the day before that the military doesn't want her to go. She's not the secretary of state. Why is she doing a trip like this? Exactly. And especially it. And also, Alkil, let me let me stop you to ask a question that's somewhat provocative. When you say you want Taiwan to be free. I'm going to answer this question. Like what country? What country would you compare it? You want to see Taiwan be free? Dot, dot, dot. Like America? Right. I don't think so. I know. So what do you mean? What do you mean by you want Taiwan to be free? So I still want Ty- like I, I want Taiwan to have its right to self determination and be able to do what they want to do. You know, I, I've I I looked at some old John Burr Society stuff and how the CIA sent uh, Shanghai Tech um, f- uh, firearms without pins and basically wanted Mao to win. Um, so like I, I do want uh, you know genetically they're the same people. It's unfortunate that there is this hostility that we're provoking again, of course. But when I, I want them to have their right to self-determination, but I'm also not, I'm also not a psychopath, and I, I know that there's nothing... But their right to self-determination on what? Like, what are you talking about? That you don't think they can determine for themselves now, and they would be able to do if they were, quote-unquote, free? Because Taiwan does not, Taiwan does not have the censorship that China does. China is a fascist country. Top, I mean, they they are top down control, and but so are we. I mean, you can't you can't say things on YouTube or Twitter without losing your livelihood in the United States of America. I would love for us. Julian Assange might beg you to differ that that's the worst thing can happen. Uh, well, I'm well. saying we're in a point. Where journalists, it's not theoretical. Julian Assange is in Belmarsh prison. Right. Not being argumentative, but you see my point, Jason. I mean, right. Obviously, it's much more extreme in his case, but I mean, he has revealed much more important things than I have. And I mean, I am getting a lesson in how not just Twitter, like my my issues in the federal courts and 
the number of things that have been happening that, you know, lawyers that I speak to can't believe that this would happen. And until I show them the documentation, they think I'm not understanding what's going on or making something up. And they're like agape and, when they see this. And Al Killer, because I know you're opposed to New World Order, that's why I'm asking you, because um, I think you you might have a if you think about the question, you you do you start to see the point they're making? Why, what is it that we have that you think is a freedom that you think they don't have in China, let's say? Oh, no, I, 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 don't, I don't want you to think that I, I have – we are becoming – this is the China way. We, we are becoming right. like China and yeah. in this country. But basically, I want what we pretend that we have. Like I, right. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what, what I want. What we pretend. You're right. Yeah, right. What we pretend that we have, and you know, the I, that's what I, you know, I would like that for the entire world. Unfortunately, that's but, not my place, or and that's not necessarily the cultures that you know. Culture is so the 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 way American system works is through observation. I can tell it's the illusion of choice. What they do is they convince you that you have the illusion of choice because you have 15 brands at the supermarket or whatever. They give you so much choice. But all made by the oh, same look, corporation. Look how many, look how many kinds of cereal I can buy at the store. All Kellogg's. But right. But, or soda. You see what I'm saying? So they give you the illusion of choice, but really you're right. It's by the same companies. So there is no choice. No. And so it is with news. We have a lot yes. of channels, but not a lot of diversity. Does that make sense, yeah. Jason? Well, absolutely. And when somebody like you or I or anybody else comes along with an alternative idea, they just smack it down and knock you out of business before you can ever get the word out to anybody. And I'm not sure what... China is supposed to have that's worse. So well, I mean, no, China definitely was way ahead on this. I remember when I was in China, I went, I was invited to the Silk Road Film Festival in probably around 2011 or 12 or something like that. And I asked my host, who was a nice guy, what was going on with this Falun Gong? And he said he had never heard of it. And he Googled it on his phone or whatever you do in China. And the answer that came back was heresy. So they won't even let you research stuff that they don't like. You, you know something, and guys? I, can, I, can I make one? Last yeah, go. Yeah, go ahead, Al Keller. So, so th again, so China was the modern China, what, what you have now. When we, you know, that that was that is the China was the New World Order's baby, and they they backstabbed the New World Order. China wants their own New World Order, and they've said it, but they're really? going to be they're just not suicidal, and they see the errors that we have made in, in, in this country, and you know it's as this New World Order like this basically what you're having the bat the battle of two di like who's going to run the future going forward. Um, 
the New World Order on our end, they had to uncloak. And like what we've seen in the last five years in the terms of censorship and, you know, the cancel, cancel, uh, canceling people, that they had, they had to reveal themselves at a certain point. And I, I just hope it's not too late for uh, people to control their own destiny in this country because um, I, I don't we're, – we're at a breaking point. And, you know, like I said – I agree. People would take it if their living standards were going up. They're not going to take it as they go down. And, you know, this is that this is just not a, a, a good time in this country. And anybody that has any type of you know, geopolitical sense can feel the, uh, the powder keg that's going on worldwide. Yeah. Well, and Jay, we were talking before with Fira Isabel, and Jason mentioned as a, a funny hypothetical – was comparing Russia and Ukraine to if he had to go from New York to Texas and he had to get, you, you see what I'm saying? He mentioned a potential civil war between yeah. the New York and Texas. And I'd say we're actually closer to that point than we'd like to admit. It's yeah. uncomfortable. I would, I would go to Texas. I'd be on the Texas side of that. <laughs> right. No. And a lot of the others would be. But yeah. I think we're slowly getting to the point where it could be New York versus Texas. And it is over issues like abortion, where we're having radically different laws enforced in different parts of the country. And so, Al Killer, do you see that where the U.S. is splintering in two before our very eyes, Al Killer? One hundred percent. And that's what scares me to death, because, you know, there's there's actually two ways. I I think it I think there's part that that's what this like um, open borders is about. Um, You know, they were open about a North American union in the in the early 2000s um, where we would expand. But I I actually see it's a possibility of the states just because of financial financial situations. It's going to bring the opportunity. Do we still want to stay together? And I think there will be like groups of states that'll say we. I mean, John Podesta war gamed it in uh, one of the election war games, talking about the secession of like uh, Oregon, uh, Washington, um, uh, California, some of the West Coast states. I, I honestly well, because there's there's more that divides well, the country together. And I let me interrupt one second, Al Killer, because we should point out we've had the. Him as a guest, parts of Idaho are are used to be Oregon. Oregon is already seceding, and counties in Oregon are joining with Idaho. Have you? When did that happen? You seen that outdoor? That's already happening. Yeah, wow. that's been in the that's been in the works for a while, uh, probably about four or five years. Um, but wow. now they're just like actually putting. They're actually motioning for it to go to go ahead. You know, everybody. Have you seen that, Jason? I think I might have heard something about it, but I didn't really. I don't know anything about that. I, I want to hear more about. We've that. had we, we had the guy who's putting it together as a guest on the show. What he's right, doing? That's he's yeah. In Oregon. They're they're doing this in an orderly process, but people in Oregon are voting to leave Oregon and have those parts of the state become part of Idaho. And it's Amazing. actually happening. It's they're winning elections and they're doing it very orderly. 
but it's has anything like that has anything like that ever happened before lee no states changing borders like that i mean that's a pretty big deal it's a very big deal because as soon yeah go ahead as soon as some parts you know people talk about new york like as a monolithic entity but really it's new york city and upstate and california is really the coastal cities san francisco and la and the coast and and forgive me and inland there's two californias but the split is not north and south the split is inland or coastal yeah that's right jason and it's a lot more conservative the inland part that's right so i'm I'm suggesting in some ways you could split New York, and I don't think it's quite as extreme, but you could split New York into Manhattan, one state that's essentially the Democrat stronghold. And then if you split off upstate New York, that might be a red state. You're right. It would. And you know what? Living by the Hudson River Valley, like Kingston and stuff that you can get kind of a lot of land. And maybe that's maybe I should be thinking about that. You can haunt and stuff. Rather than just shucking the whole state, you're saying? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting pretty annoyed with New York City. I mean, it's dangerous as hell. The cops won't do anything. I basically just sit in my apartment. All the restaurants I like have closed. It's annoying. Yeah, but Al Keller, what, what I'm saying is there are legal remedies that people could take short of seceding, but it's seceding, but legally. But there are legal <laughs> remedies that people can take without a, a violent revolution, and people in Oregon are taking them. And I think when other states start to pay attention to what they're doing, it could affect you could see you could see a move for for instance upstate New York to secede from New York State. Possibly. Be interesting. What do you think, Al Keller? Uh, you know, there's all I definitely could I could definitely see that again, that is self determination, right? And I'm all for that. But then you have yeah. that I I mean you I could see that and you know got if it's done peacefully, God willing, uh, you know, every, I, I, I think I see that as a major solution. There's also, um, I think Texas can break up into like, uh, by their constitution can break up into like 10 different States and make like ultra, ultra, uh, conservative. Um, but you would, you would have, that's 20 new senators, but, um, Oi. could you, I could also see if the, if the country broke up, could you imagine California inviting China? Build military base like that. That's where it could go. That's, oh, it, yeah, that's not good. I mean, would that surprise you? If if we I lost, just, would that surprise you? It, I mean, because that's really their. They worship. I mean, they worship that type of government. Like the, the the COVID just showed you that these these people will do anything. They'll take the power as far as they can, and the only thing standing in their way is the the. A little resemblance of the Constitution that you know people pay lip service to, but absent that, I've, you know, absent that, we're done. Yeah, it's not uh, a good situation. Great call but- as usual. L- let me get the next call because Max has been running for a long time. I've had a brainwave though. Great. 
Lee, what? I think you could write a book called How to Succeed at Seceding. <laughs> yeah, I'll get on that this weekend, Jason. Right. <laughs> Don't have enough on my plate now. But uh, right. 202-521-1320. Max, what is on your mind? Thanks for waiting. Thanks for being so patient. Max, go ahead. Hey, Max. hey thanks for taking my call, Lee. Uh, that was a great call. I I think one of the things you see in China you don't see here, well, you did see, is they were wearing masks a long time ago, way before hmm. they, uh, hit the United States. They were wearing masks in the metros and, and in metropolitan areas long before, and they're going to wear them for a, long, a lot longer than COVID lasts. And they, were, in China, they were wearing masks because of, of the bird flu, right? That goes back to the days of the bird flu. Yeah. Flu, MERS, there's been all kinds of scares over there. That's just part of the right. culture because they just, they just don't want to get sick. Imagine imagine a billion people getting sick. They're going to fill up the hospitals. That's, I mean, that's just mitigation. It doesn't really work, but they're just trying to do their best. And they're a communist nation. We're not a communist nation. Uh, in a communist nation, you can't choose to be capitalist. In a capitalist nation, you can choose to be communist, and you might not do it. Good point. Whatever. That's the biggest thing we and, have going for us is you have – I would say on that standard, they're not a communist nation because there's plenty of market activity in China and people opening businesses. So what do you say to that? Well, in China, you're a capitalist if you're a leader in the Communist Party and you're a communist right. if you're not a leader in the Communist Party. I mean, just like in our country, you're you're basically – the same thing in our country. You're subsidized if you don't have enough money, but if you're rich enough, you're a capitalist. I mean, there's it, they're just a bunch of isms at a certain point. The, the point is, is you can choose in this country to either participate or not participate. I thought your comment about Oregon and Idaho was hilarious because it sounds exactly like what happened in Ukraine, where somebody just votes to join another state. Right. And the other state says, Sure, you can join our state, and then all of a sudden you have Joe Biden shipping $80 billion to facilitate one state or the other. And that's why I originally called you to just bring up Joe Biden. It's just incredulous to think that a guy who is the special envoy to the Ukraine, you know, and, and I'm guilty. I kind of I voted for the guy. I didn't want Trump in a second term, and now, now I see this all come together. It's just not coincidental kind of like the Obamacare thing, you know, you get a guy in office and he immediately does his most important, you know, what was on his top uh, wish list right. to invade Ukraine. I mean, he was the envoy to Ukraine. He softened the target, so, so to say, and now he's getting all of the deals to come to fruition that he was working on for four years. And who knows if Obama even knew he was doing it, you know what I mean? Oh, I think Obama knew. Do you regret Voting for Joe Biden? I do. I, I regret voting for president at this point. I voted libertarian in the past, and I I kind of like doing that. But I, you know, but I don't really like the presidency in this country anymore. Honestly, I don't. I think it's broken. Yeah. The government. Clearly, I think you meant. <laughs> and no, and it's clearly broken, and it's clearly not running things. The thing right. I, I mentioned. This situation with the Hunter Biden laptop and uh, the FBI and the CIA, I think that shows who's really running things. Yeah. Obviously, the president 
was selected in the last election by the FBI and by the CIA. Right? That's well, what I mean, we, we hear the term rudderless a lot, right? Doesn't it almost seem like the captain is asleep at the wheel and we've got all these little factions fighting to turn this way and then somebody turns this way and somebody turns the other way and the boat is becoming very unstable and the direction is lost? Yes, and, and it's not clear who's in charge. And right. the reasons everyone's confused about who's in charge is it's not clear. And you want an example mm -hmm. of that? Nancy Pelosi, Taiwan. Right. Who's yeah. in charge of that? You right. could name, you could make the you could make the case for about five people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could say Nancy Pelosi's running things. And you could I make think she made a power that. grab. Right. She's she all eyes on her. I mean, this is the type of thing you would expect a president to do, or at least if the president sends the vice president, that's some sort of diplomatic like, well, the president isn't going, but we're sending a signal kind of thing. It's like, what the hell are we doing here? It sends a signal to everybody that we don't know what we're doing. Well, let's take a short break. And the co-host of Political Misfits, John Kiriakou, is with us right after this short break. I'm Lee Stranahan. We're joined by Jason Goodman as guest co-hosts on The Backstory. We're back and on the radio. 105.5 FM, AM 1390. And that last interstitial spot reminded me, let's say hi to John first. We're joined now by yeah. John Kiriakou, co-host of Political Misfits. Hey, John, how you doing? Hey, doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to have you back. Hey, want to talk to you about a lot of stuff going on, like Zawahiri being killed, obviously. But first, yeah. have you heard about Garland Nixon, John Kiriakou? Uh, I, I talked to him about an hour ago. Is he okay? He was suspended by Twitter, I saw. What? Is that resolved? No, he I never mentioned. Why Why they suspend him? Because they're you know, fascists. They're, they're vague about such things. Man, but yeah. I saw he had a five-day suspension for violating Twitter's terms of service. And Ridiculous. I would say he's someone active politically. That's dangerous. But you talked to me, you didn't mention anything about it? No. I saw it right before I went on the air. Huh. No, he didn't say a word to me. But, you know, I see him in the I see him in the studio all the time. I'm going to ask him. I'll ask him tomorrow. Okay, well, we support him, obviously. Definitely. Anytime, anytime colleagues get mistreated by social media, we don't like it. So, That's right. John, so... You know, when I heard the news bulletin yesterday, Al, Al, Al Zahiri was killed by a drone strike. It's I'm lucky in that I know you, and so I got to think. <laughs> I got to th think immediately. I might know somebody who's actually dealt with this guy. Yeah, yeah. So what were Man. your dealings with him? You know, I. <laughs> I had a long day yesterday after a long 
weekend uh, spent holed up with attorneys. I, I was just telling uh, somebody else, 11 hours on Saturday with my attorney, um, oh. half of Sunday, I was tired. So I'm watching Family wow. Feud yesterday, right? I come up, <laughs> come up from, the, from the studio and I said, I want something completely brainless. I put on Family Feud and my phone pings and it's the Associated Press uh, push notification. AP was the first outlet to report this. And I, wow. I physically jumped up out of the chair because we've been looking for this guy for 25 years. That that's a lifetime. It's a generation. We've been looking for this guy. And to then hear the details of how they got him just, you know, you guys know me well. I, I criticize the CIA all the time. I criticize the CIA a lot. But yesterday was one of those very rare occasions when I uh, I really missed it. I really missed it. This is good for America. It's good for all of us. The world is a better place without Ayman Zawahiri in it. Uh, he had to pay for the murder of 3,000 plus Americans, and I'm glad we finally got him. But how do we know they no. did? They, I mean, they haven't presented any evidence. They just said they did. Yeah, and, and we, we likely won't get any evidence um, because of where it took place. I think that we can conclude that we did because of the reaction of the Taliban. You know, the, uh, th there's been this nationalist uprising in Kabul in the last 24 hours because we violated their territorial integrity and we violated their airspace. And now they're mad at the Pakistanis because we launched from a Pakistani base. So if the if the the Taliban are not saying, hey, this just isn't true and Zawahiri isn't releasing a, an audio tape to Al Jazeera like he occasionally does, then I, I think we can conclude that it actually happened. Now, let's talk about mm. some of the history. And I, I'm sure I'm going to get some of this wrong. I'm forgetting. I'm going from memory here. But Al-Qaeda started roughly in Peshawar, Pakistan, correct? And it was from something called the Services Bureau, right? Right. Is that it, the origin of Al-Qaeda? Yeah, but it goes back a little bit farther than that. Um, in the um, in the 1970s, uh, Zawahiri was one of of uh, a couple of dozen people arrested for uh, the murder of Egyptian President Anwar Sadat. He was one of the one of the masterminds of the assassination of Sadat, and he was initially sentenced to death. Uh, that was commuted to life, and then after several years. There was an amnesty and he was released. He, um, It's easy to say he was radicalized in prison. He wasn't radicalized in prison. He was already a radical. And as soon as he got out of prison, he created a terrorist group called uh, Egyptian Islamic Jihad, EIJ. Uh, while Osama bin Laden was in Peshawar creating the group that would become al-Qaeda, Zawahiri went to Peshawar and agreed to merge Egyptian Islamic Jihad with Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is Arabic for the base. And uh, Peshawar was supposed to be the base of operations for this new Islamic organization. Now, the reason why these guys um, had some success is because they uh, their skills complemented each other with an E. Um, Zawahiri had real religious credentials. 
bin Laden had no religious credentials, none, zero. And uh, and, they both and, and when you said before he was radicalized, you mean he's a Wahhabist? Oh, he's yeah, a very, very much so. He got his start with the with the Muslim Brotherhood and left the Muslim Brotherhood because they weren't radical enough, and that's why he created uh, Egyptian right. Islamic Jihad, right? And then you know he he had a like minded uh, compatriot in Bin Laden. Now the thing about Bin Laden, what Bin Laden brought to the table, they were both wealthy. They both came from wealthy families. But Bin Laden's family, of course, was one of the wealthiest in the world, and so money wasn't going to be a problem. So while Bin Laden sort of provided the big picture, like let's attack the United States and damage the economy, it was Zawahiri who was the detail man. It was Zawahiri who worked with Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, for example, to implement this idea that bin Laden had to damage the American economy. So how do you damage the American economy? You hit Wall Street because that's where all the money is. How do you hurt the American military? You hit the Pentagon. And then, you know, the the third, the fourth plane we know from Abu Zubaydah was supposed to hit the capital because Zawahiri had told bin Laden that the capital was the bastion of the Jews. And so that's where that fourth plane that crashed in Shanksville was supposed to be going. So they, they complemented each other and they worked well together because Zawahiri didn't want the, the, the infamy of being the leader of this group. He just wanted to be able to implement what he had always believed in. And so it was a good pairing. And I could be just wrong, but one sec, Jason. Uh, But if I'm right, it ties into new headlines. Al Qaeda had some financial success. They got a lot of donations in, right? Yes. And so after the first operation, the thing kept them going, if I remember correctly, was Bob. Oh, to you, Bosnia and Serbia next. Yes. Am I correct yes. on that? Yeah, that's correct. That's so correct. explain that because we're hearing a lot about Bosnia and Serbia lately. So explain what happened. You know, Bosnia and Serbia, this, this is something that's often ignored by people in the conversation about al-Qaeda. Bosnia and Serbia was sort of an early training ground for them. And um, it allowed them to begin attracting newly radicalized or self-radicalized fighters. And the reason why it was so attractive is because most of the people who went to Bosnia to fight were, were white, right? And so if, if you're a, if you're a white guy and you've got a, a passport from a Western European country, that's, that's a golden ticket for terrorism because with let's say you've got a French passport or German passport or whatever, it doesn't matter that you originally came from Tunisia or Yemen or whatever, uh, or especially if you're homegrown and you're white, because then you can go anywhere with that passport. Uh, in part, that helped Al Qaeda. Another part was it brought together a lot of the money people, right? So you had the Saudi government, for example, the Iranian government that wanted to do what they could to help Bosnian Muslims fight the Serbs. So it was the Saudis and the Iranians, the Qataris, who are also Wahhabis, for example, um, sending these huge amounts of money uh, to fighters there. Well, where are the fighters going to be trained? And it ended up they were trained, many of them in Al-Qaeda training camps in Sudan, for example. 
And so it, it the war in, in Bosnia brought together these disparate interests and introduced would-be terrorist leaders with with sympathetic elements of foreign governments, especially the Saudis and the uh, and the Qataris. And, uh, you know, it just it was downhill from there. And I, I should point out part of the reason I mentioned that is that by currently. Do you agree that what, what's going on currently with Bosnia and Serbia is being pushed by the U.S.? The current situation. Yeah, I do actually. I, I'm I'm worried about what's happening with uh, with uh, Serbia and and Kosovo. Is that what you're talking about? This this yeah. latest. Uh, yeah. I, I'm worried about yes. this. You yeah. know, forgive me. Yeah. And forgive me if this is an unpopular position, but but I'm I'm all in with Serbia on this. People don't don't understand that the Serbs still consider Kosovo to be to be a republic within Serbia. Yes. And it's, it's the same it's situation as Ukraine, where the United yeah, States exactly. recognized them breaking away. Exactly. Exactly. And Serbs, Serbian Orthodox Christians consider Kosovo to be, you know, like holy land for them. That's where most of their their monasteries are. Uh, it, it's it's the birthplace of Serbian Orthodox Christianity. And then you've got these these Muslim uh, Kosovars that are that are uh, ransacking churches and monasteries. They're burning the churches down, and it's taken everything the Serbs can do to not fight back, because they don't want to have to, you know, refight this war. And then this this stupid action last week to strip Serbian uh, citizens license of Kosovo from their ability to even get a friggin' license plate. Uh, this yeah. was too much for people. Well, it's antagonization in the same yeah, way exactly that Pelosi is. is antagonizing China, in the same way that Biden is antagonizing yes. Russia. So why are all these people doing this at the same time? You and, know, man. I mean, again, John, you you and I have known each other for a few years, and this is a really difficult thing for me to reconcile because I yeah. always we have great conversations. I find you an extremely intelligent and nice guy. But anytime we start not talking about 9-11, I disagree with every single thing you're saying. There is fundamentally no way that 19 low-hours Cessna pilots drove that airplane 580 miles an hour into the World Trade Center. There's no way. Physical impossibility. <laughs> Who do you think did it? I think... It was a military KC-46 that was remotely piloted into the building because that would have been able to travel 580 miles an hour, whereas 767 would not. And I think that flying a plane like that with the precision that it was flown is something that a pilot with years of experience could not do. Additionally, the plane that allegedly hit the Pentagon was flying so close to the ground that ground air turbulence would have caused it to crash before it ever reached the building, that was a missile. And these are physical scientific impossibilities that cannot be explained, that when you go back and look at the empirical evidence that could explain it, it starts to unravel this whole story. We haven't even gotten into why the U.S. government allowed members of the bin Laden family to leave the United States 
why the names of Saudi diplomats were redacted from 28 pages of documents for 16 years. We haven't gotten into any of that. I want to see evidence that Ayman al-Zawahiri is dead and was killed yesterday, or it's just ink on a page, and I don't believe it. Wow. I, I respect your opinion. I disagree with literally everything that you said. Well, you, you and I will do a show around <laughs> September on crowdsource the truth, and we'll address this because okay. I don't want to be argumentative. I want to talk about the facts. Oh, no, but let's no, get no. back yeah, to no, no, Lee's no topic here. Sure, sure. I yeah, I, I would I would welcome that. Yeah. I would welcome that. Now, with with Zawahiri, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on this, and I, and I said this on my own show earlier today. Um, you know, my position is that virtually everything the CIA has ever told us, has ever told the American public, has been a lie. It's false. Like, right. It's, all, it's always a lie. They say that there was no torture program. That was a lie. They, there's no uh, uh, secret prison system. That was a lie. They said that that there's no rendition program where they're out kidnapping, snatching people off the street. That was a lie. Um, they, they lie about literally everything. Um, and they want us to take their word for all of this with no evidence. So I, I totally agree with you. And I prefaced my own comments on my show earlier today by saying we have no idea if this is true, but this is the story that they're telling us. And then we commented on the story that they're telling us. You know, with with bin Laden, what we did um, – you know his family, the bin Laden family. It's a it's a gigantic and and very honorable family. Uh, they're wildly successful financially because of what their father and grandfather built in Saudi Arabia, the, one of the largest construction firms in the world. And many of them, he had more than a hundred sons. He had about eighty five daughters. Um, many of them wow. live here in the United States. Uh, they're in Beverly Hills, New York, Philadelphia. And a bunch of them are in uh, Orlando. They love Orlando. So it's not unusual to run into bin Ladens all the time. We used to run into them all the time when I was uh, still at the CIA. So when it was clear that Osama was turning into a, a major bad guy around the world, we put out the word, we at the CIA put out the word to the bin Laden family that we wanted their help. And we weren't really even sure what kind of help we wanted from them because, frankly, almost none of them had any ongoing contact with him. As soon as he, he radicalized, they just cut him off, except for a couple. A couple of the brothers stayed in touch with him. And what the, what the bin Ladens did is they offered up – we didn't even ask for it. They just offered it up um, – their own DNA so that – in the event that we killed him, and they knew that eventually we were going to kill him, uh, we would be able to at least compare the DNA so we could be sure that it was him. Because I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen photographs of somebody who's been killed by a drone. Um, you're yeah. in 5,000 little bits and pieces, you All know, right. like the size of a fingernail. So you don't know who this is. They're destroyed. Their body is utterly destroyed. And this was a way for us to at least compare the DNA. Now, that it didn't turn out that way. But, um, but yeah, I agree with you. Without, without proof positive, the government just wants us to take their word for it. Yeah, because I don't believe that they killed bin Laden when they said they did either. That event coincidentally coincided with the uh, retrieval of Obama's 
birth certificate as a PDF document. Oh, wow. That's, that got people to, to not pay attention. The very same day that, that PDF document was presented, Obama, uh, Osama was uh, allegedly killed. And, you know, out of respect for him, we didn't want to show the dead body. I mean, I don't believe it See, at all. I, I think you give these guys way too much credit. There, there would be so many moving parts in a conspiracy like that. And everybody has to just be humming, right? It no, has to be no. perfect. I, I think that no, no, you no, think no, that no. they're way smarter than they really are. I don't think that's what I think. I think that it's a highly compartmentalized thing. And anybody who could provide any evidence that contradicts the main story is treated like I'm being treated or Julian Assange, even worse than I'm being treated, where they just maybe say, OK, so Al-Qaeda didn't come back and say anything. Well, where would they say that? Is there Al-Qaeda CNN? Is there an Al-Qaeda uh, Twitter account that has a million, two million, hundred million followers? I mean, well, no, whatever no, they what, say. What they normally do is they, they, release, um, they release mostly audio tapes, sometimes videotapes to Al Jazeera. And they've got, a, they've got a website that they do in both um, English and Arabic that I believe, at least it used to be run from Yemen. I assume the it's still- The CIA wouldn't Yemen. control that? I mean, you know, I'll oh, yeah. no, what no, no. is Listen, there's, there's a It's story just a bunch that. of maniacs no, running no, no. around in the desert. No, no, don't underestimate them. Um, the CIA repeatedly shut down that website. Uh, at first it was hosted in Germany, and we went to the Germans and said, shut it down. The Germans didn't know that that- that their country was hosting it. And it bounced around from country to country to country. And the last uh, the last I heard, now this is dated information because I left government so many years ago, it was being hosted in Iran. When they want to shut off RT, that happens in a day. Yeah, but RT so was So I, I don't know right what here. to tell you. Right, but yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you other than I just... I don't believe any of this. I don't. Not that I'm saying you're well, lying. Well, I'm saying you're giving us but, a story that somebody else has given us, and I don't believe it. That we talked to Fiorella Isabel in the first hour. So when you say when they want to shut down RT, it's done in a day. That's not accurate. She works for RT. They did not shut down RT. Yeah, but you can't get well, it on YouTube. You can't. I mean, they've shut the voice down pretty effectively within the United States. Shut down I mean, parts of it. Parts right. of it, parts of it are harder to get, and you can still get in Europe if you use a VPN or something like that. So my right. point is, even in this case, it's not cut and dry. And uh, John, let me ask you this: mm -hmm. uh, you obviously know a lot of stuff. You're in the CIA that is secret and you can't talk about. Sure. Correct. Right. Now, so I'm going to ask this gingerly. The stuff that you know that's secret, does it tend to make you think the stuff you that you just said about the CIA, you can't talk about the stuff you can't talk about, but the stuff that you know that you can't talk about, it confirms your belief that the CIA lies a lot, correct? Correct. Correct. Do you see what, yes. I'm, what I'm asking without yeah. asking? Yeah, of course, of course. But at the same time, you know, I was working, I was working on Al Qaeda uh, back then when all of this was was happening, and I remember as if it were yesterday the evidence that that we were being inundated with um, every day, and there's just no doubt in my mind 
zero doubt in my mind that Al Qaeda did 9/11. Yeah. Yeah. How do they get a plane to fly 580 miles an hour in one atmosphere that cannot do that? I, I don't know that it was flying at 580 miles an hour, but what That's happened what the to radar all the people on, on those planes, though? I mean, it's not like you had— Well, let's what? stick to one question at a time, because that's what the radar data said, 580 miles an hour. And that was a okay. major component of the 9-11 report, because that, according to them, was why it was so effective at destroying the building. What happened to the people on the plane is that plane would have gone somewhere else. You know, when you watch that radar data— the plane well, so, makes a so U-turn. Without getting bogged down in the, I, yeah. I don't want to get too far. We'll talk about that in September. Yeah. Right, because it's not the place for it. But right. I'll also point out that the first thing I would have to do is, Jason, you're saying the 9-11 report says that. I would double-check and triple-check the report to make sure it actually says what you're saying is, is. Because a lot of times when people check the documents. Have you found this, John? A lot of times when people check, they'll, they'll, people will say, oh, yeah, the paperwork says this. But when then they, and they're 100% sure of it. But when they check out the paperwork, it does not say what they remembered it said. Does right. that make sense, John? Sure. I, I That happens to me all the time where I, I I remember something, you know, that that in my mind is crystal clear, and then I go back to the original source, and and I had misremembered it. Building seven, yes. no no plane hit building seven, and it collapsed in freefall. CIA so, so had a again, big office in there. So, it, so again, Jason, I ask you, don't because we we can do that game all day. Sure, no, 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 we'll we do can, it in September. We'll do it in September. Yeah. So so John. What do you think are the foreign policy implications, if any, of what the U.S. government did? In uh, with Zawahiri. Oh, with with Zawahiri. Oh, you know, I actually don't think there are any foreign policy implications. We frankly don't care what the Afghan people or the Afghan government think of us. We don't care. And, you know, their spokesman was yelling today about how this was a violation of the Doha agreement. Well, harboring a terrorist is a violation of the Doha agreements. So, you know, if if we determine that this guy poses a, a clear and present danger to the United States, we're going to kill him. And we, well, so we this, go ahead. This brings this brings up the idea about the timing of this coming. And because this comes at a point when things are not going well for Ukraine in the Ukrainian conflict, okay, where mm. there's bad news in the economy, there's a recession that we can't call a recession, right? And yeah, right. the Biden administration has a lot of bad news they might want to distract from. And I've seen some people suggest sure. the timing on this hit was to distract from all that stuff. Do you think that's a possibility? I do, I, I do think that's a possibility. I do think that's a possibility because the White House and the ODNI and, uh, you know, everybody else that has spoken uh, on or off the record about this has said that uh, they had spotted Zawahiri in April and they watched him constantly since April. Uh, they said gathering uh, gathering information, intelligence on his uh, his daily routine, so they could figure out the the best time of the day, uh, the best circumstances of the day to kill him. Um, 
But what that also gives them is a choice. It gives them a choice as to when to run this operation. They could have done it in May or June or July or or they could have done it yesterday. And so it's absolutely believable that they would hold off until they could maximize uh, the the political gain uh, with with a victory like this. So sure, I, I could see that happening. And, and John Kiriakou, let's take the last few minutes of the show to get your comments on the Nancy Pelosi Taiwan situation. I've got to believe someone who's in the government like you is somewhat, I, 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 we haven't talked about this, but I'm willing to bet John, you're baffled by why this move is being made. And, and am I accurate? Yeah, that's the word too. I am baffled. I, I'll tell you first what I don't believe. I don't believe Joe Biden when he, you know, hemmed and hawed and said, uh, well, you know, I, I don't want her to go. I don't believe Joe Biden when he says, yeah, I, I, the military doesn't want her to go. That's all nonsense. And, and I'll tell you why it's nonsense. Anytime there is any visitor to a foreign country, uh, and that could be a congressional delegation, a staff delegation, or even a CIA officer going to a country for an operation or meetings or whatever, you have to get two different kinds of permission. Besides your own organization, you have to get something called country clearance. That is that is permission by the senior most U.S. diplomat in country. In most countries, it's an ambassador. In this case, it's a consul general who's also the head of the U.S. interest section. So you have to send a cable saying, Nancy Pelosi wants to come to your country, yes or no. And that person has to respond, sure, Nancy Pelosi can come to my country. You also have to send a cable to the State Department's relevant desk, in this case, the Taiwan desk. Nancy Pelosi wants to come to your country. And the Taiwan desk says, sure, she can come to our country. So for them to say, wow, you know, we, we weren't for it, but there's nothing we could do, that is not true. All they had to do was say, no, you can't come. It's, it's literally that simple. And then we see you know, the, the military providing, what is it, a dozen jets. They scramble a dozen jets. She's on a military transport going from country to country. You mean to tell me that that wasn't coordinated a month ago? Come on. Yeah, right. Come on. It's all they nonsense. All she Everything. was going, and they all supported the notion that she was going. Now, what I don't understand, and I've been thinking about this for days, I don't understand what in the world they hope to gain because provoking the Chinese gives us nothing. We get nothing in return for provoking the Chinese. So why do it in the first place? I just don't understand. I think we got to look at the context of this, this criminal hearing going on with her husband. Her husband has just been questioned for buying millions of dollars worth of NVIDIA stock. Right. right. Jensen Huang from NVIDIA, the CEO, he's Taiwanese. So what ties to Taiwan does that company have? Also, last week, the TSMC foundry in the United States is almost done. Yeah. Jason, great job co-hosting, guest hosting as usual. We're out of time. John Kiriakou, thank you for your insight. Great appearance and great conversation as usual. And thanks so much to Fiorella Isabel, who's now living in Moscow and working for RT. Great show, great calls. Thanks so much. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory.